Turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. There's a common misconception that many people have today. They've been led to believe, and maybe you're here today and, and you've come to this understanding as well, that you have to be a good person to get into heaven. In other words, we all live our lives, and God expects our good actions to outweigh our bad. And one day we'll have to stand before Him and we'll have to give an account and hopefully our good will outweigh the bad and God will accept us into heaven. Or there's another version of that, a variation of that. Maybe our bad will actually be more, but we can go through some period or some time of punishment when our sins will be purged and then we'll get to a point at some point, maybe 10, 20, 100,000, 10,000 years from now, when we'll be good enough to get into heaven. Have you ever noticed that root word purge in the word that many people use to describe that purgatory? The idea that I need to spend a little time getting rid of the bad before I can get into heaven. The problem with both of those ideas is that neither of them is what the Bible teaches. God's word, the Bible, clearly teaches us that we are only entering into a relationship with God by trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus did for us on the cross. When He died on the cross, He died for my sins. He died in my place as my substitute. I deserve to be there, but He died for me. And when He rose again, He did what I couldn't do, which was pay for it and to make proper payment and then to show victory over it. And when I receive Jesus as my Savior, that is when I become a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 couldn't be more clear. For by grace, something you don't deserve, for by grace you have been saved or rescued through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. All of it is the gift of God. I believe he's talking about the salvation itself and the ability to trust God. All of it God gave to us. And then in verse 9, it's very clear, not as a result of works, so that no man should boast. You see, the emphasis on living a good life in God's Word comes after we have established a relationship with Him. This is the distinction. Living right does not earn us salvation. Living right gives evidence that we have it. In fact, if you do like I know some of you do, you read on after I quit reading verses. If you read verse 10, after I just finished verse 9, it says, "...for we are His workmanship." created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And he said over and over in God's Word, there's this balance. I just want you to be clear. Here's how you come to know me. But once you do come to know me, it ought to make a difference in your life. Now, it may sound like a semantics or splitting of hairs, but in reality, it's a huge difference. Here's one way we might put it. You can't have fruit until you've had the seed planted in your life. By the way, I hope you've given up on trying to live a good life. I hope you finally decided that it's just futile, that none of us, you're not the only one, none of us feel adequate. We may fool ourselves, we may talk ourselves into it, but we really know deep in our hearts that there's no way that we can live the life that God created for us to live. There's no way we can be the person that we were supposed to be, and that's why Jesus came for us. But we need to realize something else that we saw there in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Though our relationship with God is not started by doing good things in our life, 
when we begin a relationship with him, when his seed is planted in our lives, at some point, the fruit will begin coming out. Because when God lives in us, he begins to produce the things that are in his character and in his likeness. That's why over the last few weeks we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit. If God's seed of Christ and his salvation has been planted in my heart, then eventually the fruit of God's Spirit living in my life will show up. That's why we're turning back to Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23, to finish up our study on the fruit of the Spirit. And before we move on and look at the the final two fruits here, I want us to think about fruit for just a minute. You know, if you think about it, from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God is a gardener, isn't he? Now, some of you like that, don't you? Because you like to garden too. God is a gardener, and he plants things with the intention that they... Now, listen, this is important for so many of us involved in church. God plants things with the intention that they will do what? That they will grow. God never, some people say, you know, I don't really want to be in a church where I'm being challenged. Well, you don't want to be in a church then because any church that doesn't challenge you to grow is not being the family of God. God says whatever he does is going to grow. It's got life in it. It has to. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing the thing that I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God sends out his word in our lives. He plants the seed of his word in our lives so that we can grow. You see, fruit relates to evidence. The presence of spiritual fruit in our lives helps to show us And it helps to show others that we truly are God's children and that we truly have experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have the fruit, it means you have the root. Amen? I mean, you got to have the root if you got the fruit showing up. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible tells us if God changed you on the inside, you're going to show fruit on the outside that matches up or that corresponds to that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus said, You will know someone is a child of God if their life gives evidence by fruit in their life. Fruit also relates to expectation. God's emphasis on us displaying His fruit in our lives reminds us that God planted His work in us for a reason. He wants us to grow. When He came into our lives, He's expecting something to happen. Now, it's going to be Him that does that work, but He's expecting us to allow Him to do that work. And finally, fruit relates to earnings. We might say that fruit demonstrates profit, doesn't it? Fruit means something was accomplished. What if you planted an apple tree and never had apples? I mean, that's not an apple tree. That's just a tree. It's just a pretty tree. But it's not an apple tree because it doesn't produce apples. It was wasted in that sense. Fruit in our life means something wonderful has happened. God has been working in us, and now we can visibly see. Have you ever ever felt like that? Man, I wish people could see what's going on on the inside. God's working. He's changing me. He's changing my attitudes. And I wish it came out in my behaviors and my actions, but, but I can sense that it's coming. It's coming soon. You feel like that? Man, I'm just almost there. I can see the fruit's just about to break through. Trust me, it's coming. Fruit is is evidence of that, that that there's been some profit in our life. There's been some work. At the very least, fruit brings worship to God. 
The Bible says in John 15, verse 8, My Father, listen to this, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit is proof that I'm a disciple of God's, and it brings God glory. I like to say it makes him famous. <laughs> when people see fruit in my life, when they see, because you know what it is, it's the fruit of God, isn't it? It's, here's who God is. Watch him hanging off my life. <laughs> here's the fruit right here. And people go, wow, that's pretty nice fruit. That looks pretty nice. Is that how God is? Man, that's the kind of God I want. And God becomes famous because of fruit in my life. So far in this study, we've talked about some of the fruits. We've talked about love. Love is the ability for us to have an unconditional commitment to other people. We've talked about joy. Joy is a happiness that goes beyond our circumstances. We've talked about peace. Peace is a wholeness or a stability about ourselves. Patience is the ability to put up with things that we don't like for long periods of time. Kindness is being nice or tender-hearted towards other people. We talked about goodness last time. It means to be real, to be genuine, to be the real deal, and to be someone who's a benefit or a help to others. And we talked about faithfulness. We talked about when God works in my life, I'll be the kind of person who sticks with my responsibilities, with my commitments. Well, today, let's look at the last two. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and now today, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. God can produce gentleness in my life. Now, when we use the term gentleness in God's Word, we probably have a tainted view of what we're meaning because our culture usually doesn't see gentleness or meekness in the kind of way that God intends for it to be seen. But in order to understand the biblical idea, we have to think about God first. Remember, this is His character. Okay, so when we say the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, or maybe some of your translations say meekness, we need to understand, first of all, that God is mighty. God is no wimp. Don't let His kindness and His help to us fool you. Behind that is a God who is too big for the universe to contain. When you hear the thunderclap, he made that thunder. When you see the rush of raging water at Niagara, He started that water and He keeps it flowing. When you see the mighty, powerful winds of a hurricane, that's just a small breath of air from Almighty God. When you see a horse with his muscles bulging and breathing hard through his nostrils, remember, He is the Lord. <laughs> he is God. Matthew 8, verse, 21, verse 27 tells us that even the winds and the sea Obey his commands. Psalm 24, verse 8 says, He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And he could very easily overpower us. That sentence is almost uh, too much of an understatement to even say, isn't it? He could very easily overpower us. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's not even close. We're not even a speck of dust in comparison with God. The Lord is mighty. Amen? Let's don't, let's don't have an idea that, bless God's heart, He's barely hanging on. Jesus, he came, bless his heart, tried to do some nice things. Good guy, got the bad end of the deal. They hurt him. They tore him up bad. That's not the way it is. God is mighty. And yet the Bible says he stoops down to us. He doesn't overpower us. He is very gentle with us. And again, some translate that meek, but in our culture, meek sounds weak, doesn't it? 
So I like gentle better. It doesn't imply weakness, but it implies thoughtfulness. It implies uh, uh, a consideration of other people. It implies appropriate action. I can be strong and yet be gentle, can I? That's what the Lord is. And that's what God wants us to be. God wants us to be strength under control. Strength under His control. Aristotle defined this quality as being in the middle between excessive proneness to anger and the incapacity for anger. Now let's think about that just a minute. The incapacity for anger would be sort of like what people think of meekness today, isn't it? The incapacity for anger means you're wimpy. That you're not moved to action by anything. You're a doormat. That's not the picture, the biblical picture of gentleness. On the other side, excessive proneness to anger would be being quick to angry and flying off the handle. Now, we certainly realize that's not meekness, is it? That's not gentleness, being a quick to anger. So, so what is it talking about here? Well, it would be wrong to never be moved at all by anything. And some of us here maybe today struggle with that. Maybe people call you easygoing, but maybe you've gone a little too far. <laughs> maybe you're so easygoing that nothing ever bothers you. There ought to be some things that get us stirred up. There ought to be some things that move us to action, that make us concerned. And even there ought to be some things that upset us. If someone mistreats my child, I'm not going to say, oh, well, I'm going to say, now, wait a minute, buddy. Right? And rightfully so. There needs to be times that we get a little stirred up. On the other hand, it'd be wrong to go flying off the handle about everything. So gentleness has the idea that you do have passion, you do have core values, things that matter to you, but you don't let that burst out all over everybody. (laughs) That's the idea. I like this definition. We might say gentleness is a person who is always moved to action at the right time and in the right way, but never at the wrong time and in the wrong way. Did you hear that? Gentleness is a person who's always moved to action at the right time and in the right way, but never at the wrong time and in the wrong way. What about Moses? Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, was described as the meekest man on earth. But I'm going to tell you what, when he came off that mountain, when they were worshiping false gods, Moses, probably, somebody didn't write in their diary that day, Moses is the meekest man on earth. No, I mean, he was upset. This is serious. He wasn't happy. He was moved to action. He was moved to godly action. Jesus was gentle. He could sit down with little children, and they felt totally safe and comfortable in his arms. But when the religious leaders were dishonoring God, he wasn't very happy. He was moved to action. In Mark chapter 11, verse 15 and following, he was moved to action, and he was moved to godly action. One of the New Testament words that's translated gentleness means strength, under control it means to tame a wild animal (laughs) you ever feel like a wild animal out of control the bible says you can be gentle it means power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions when god works in this again go back to that horse idea it might be you'd walk up to a horse and you'd say whoa boy right (laughs) i mean because you think this horse is gonna jump all over me i mean he's got muscles bulging out and he's breathing hard and if i do something wrong i mean he's just gonna run all over me but he's been bridled hasn't he he's been brought under control 
We have passion and power, but we don't steamroll that over other people. We are strength under control. Power that's been harnessed and is only used in ways that are appropriate and beneficial for others and for God's work. Aren't you glad that God's gentle with us? Aren't you glad that He's plenty powerful? Aren't you glad that He is mighty, but He chooses to control that strength, and He uses it only in a way that's beneficial to others? He humbles Himself for our sake. Isn't that what we sang a while ago? Humble us, Lord. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. That doesn't mean we're weak. That doesn't mean that that we're powerless. We're weak and powerless on our own. But with God, we can be pretty mighty. David, when he was worshiping God, he thought about this aspect of God, of stooping down and, and of being gentle with us. In Psalm 18, verse 35, David said, I've never seen this verse before. David said, your gentleness has made me great. Isn't that neat? God's gentleness has made me great. God being strong, don't we need somebody strong in our lives? God being strong, so I know I can go run to him just like my dad. I can go sit in his lap. But make no mistake, he's powerful. I mean, he's, he's kind, but he's also powerful. Aren't you glad you've got someone who's powerful, but they're also humble with us? In uh, 2 Samuel 22, verse 36, that same verse is repeated because in Psalm 18, it's reiterating that uh, context there. In, in uh, 2 Samuel 22, it, it could be translated, you're stooping down to us. You're humbling yourself has made me have so much. Now, doesn't that remind you of the cross? There's the cross in the Old Testament. Your stooping down to us has made me have so much. God could have used his power to run over me, but he chose to lower himself and be humbled so that we would be better off. If God is working in my life, now listen, again, against the world's idea of gentleness and meekness, if God is working in my life, I will become stronger, won't I? I will become powerful, but I will not abuse that strength. It will be great strength harnessed and brought under God's control. It'll be great strength that's brought under God's control and used to benefit others. There'll be a humility about me, but others will be seeing Christ and His character working through me. That's what He did. He stooped down. He lowered Himself, and that makes me great. That has done so much for me, according to Psalm 18, verse 35. Gentleness is strength under control. But number two, God can produce gentleness. God can produce self-control. This is an important one in our world today. In many ways, the world tries to tell us we just can't help ourselves. We can't control ourselves. We have passions and desires that we don't need to hold back. I mean, I know it's just a drink commercial, but even Sprite, isn't it? Obey your thirst. <laughs> I mean, if you're thirsty, then you just need to obey your thirst. Doesn't that commercial, this is a silly commercial, but doesn't it represent the pull in our lives? God says you can be in charge of your body. You can be in charge of your body. You can tell your body what your body is going to do for you, not the other way around. But our world around us, our flesh, our own nature in us, and the enemy, the devil, says, no, you just can't help yourself. That's why people want to hand out contraceptives to young people. It's why some people want to legalize marijuana. It's why I believe many people want for us, and I might even say that's a light word, not want for us, but fight for us 
to be and get just fighting mad that we should be considered the product of some evolutionary theory. In other words, we're just overdeveloped animals. And we have instincts that need to be obeyed. So get out of my way. I've got hunger. I've got passion. I've got desire. I've got things that I want, preferences, and I just can't help myself. It's even why some people get involved in sometimes supposedly spiritual activities that are kind of crazy. People would say you just let go and the Spirit carries you off. Have you ever heard of the movement? There's people that are, they actually have claimed that barking is worship, barking for God. You ever heard of being slain in the Spirit? People falling to the ground saying that they just lost control of themselves in the Spirit. Some people claim to have a, a heavenly prayer language, either public or private. And they say, I, I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't understand what I'm saying, but something just takes control of me. Now, I've had friends who claim to have that ability. And I believe that God has given a true purpose in Acts chapter 2 for speaking in tongues, but not in the way that many people would see it today. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is a God of order, not confusion. Whatever situation you're talking about, whatever form it takes, many people have been led to believe that there are times when I just can't help myself. I just can't control myself for whatever reason that might be. But the Bible says, listen, the Bible says the fruit of God working in my life would be more and more the ability and the desire to control my body, to control my actions. Now, I don't mean by this that I take back the reins of my life from God. But what it's saying is, with God's help, I can tell my body, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> God says, I have the ability with His help to tell my body, this is what we're going to do, and this is not what we're going to do. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Great passage on this. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. God wants you to have a great, great experience in life. He says everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympic games, everyone who competes in those kind of games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. He says, Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, but I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. My body is my servant. I am not the servant of my body. My body does not say to me, Robbie, we're going to eat this. Now, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. You see me there last night and I saw that donut. Here we are, and I'm having this conversation. Boy, bless Robbie's heart. <laughs> He's getting schizophrenic or something. Yes, we are. No, we're not. <laughs> whatever it takes, whatever works for you. Like an athlete who learns to control what he does. An athlete controls when he eats, when he sleeps, how he lives his life, where he goes, and he does that, this pastor says, just to win a little wreath. Or maybe now today we get a nice little gold medal. He says, Christians should learn how to teach our bodies to obey us and not the other way around, or else, Paul says, I'm going to get in trouble. We didn't finish reading that out, but he says in verse 27, I discipline my body and make it my slave or my servant so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Boy, if I don't get control of myself, then I will be disqualified in my ability to be effective for Christ. And that can be very difficult to gain back. And in some ways, maybe we never will. 
be able to gain it back. If today I made a dumb mistake because I didn't control myself, could that not affect our church family? Could it not affect possibly my ability to, to be a pastor for the rest of my life? Yes, it could. I mean, that's just reality. The Bible says if people would do it for just a little wreath, for just some little leaves, this is God. This is His work in my life. This is His work in other people's lives. I need to control myself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that like a soldier, we ought to be serious about this. You think being a Christian is too much trouble? Well, would you be willing to give your life in service to your country? Would you be willing, if called upon, to train yourself and to stay focused on your assignment for the benefit of the freedom of others? Now, does that not sound like serving the Lord? Would you be willing to sign up for service, to train and equip yourself for the ability to fight for the freedom of others? You could, you could, you could hear that statement being used for the military, or you could almost hear it being used as a Christian, right? Would you be willing to discipline and control your body in such a way, maybe even things that sometimes you all things being equal, rightfully could enjoy, but you're just saying, I'm going to discipline my body, I'm going to control my body on things maybe that are fine and things that aren't fine, but whatever it is, nothing's going to get me off track because I serve the purpose of pointing others to freedom and winning freedom in their lives. Isn't that awesome? He says, if, if people in the military w- would do that, why would we get entangled with the affairs of life is what 2 Timothy 2 verse 4 talks about. 2 Peter 1 verse 9 even goes so far as to tell us that if we're not growing in our ability with God's help to better control our lives and our bodies, then we're heading off track. This is important to our walk with God. It may be this reason. Friend, let me just encourage you. It may be this reason. God is. It may be this morning that God is working in your heart. God is working in your life. But one of the key components of His Spirit that He's wanting to speak to you about is learning to control your body. Some aspect of what you like to look at, of what you like to talk about, of what you like to hear, or of places that you like to go. But you know God is speaking to you that because of those things, you are entangling yourself in the affairs of life, you are getting off track, you are getting distracted, you're being put in a position where you can no longer help others find freedom because you're actually getting tangled up yourself. God says, I need to learn how to control myself. Now, there's a lot of areas that we can look at here, but if you want a good place to start, the Bible seems to indicate that there's especially one area of our life that's hard for us. And if we can control this aspect of our lives, the Bible says we can just about get a handle on every other part of our lives. It's a muscle. It's the strongest muscle in the human body. It's called the tongue. The Bible says that we need to develop the ability to control our mouth. <laughs> James chapter 3, verses 1 and 12. He says, now, this is for me this morning, and anybody else that, that God's called to teach His Word, let not many of you become teachers. Now, this isn't a good recruiting verse here. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I'm accountable to God for all this stuff I say to y'all every week. Dear God. Pray for me. I don't want to do it. But God told me to, so I am. So pray for me, because He's going to hold me accountable for it. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, that perfect doesn't mean you've reached some point of perfection. It means completion. It means maturity. 
If you can gain control over your mouth, he says you'll be able to bridle the whole body as well. He says, now if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Is that incredible? I don't know anything about riding horses, but, but the fact that you can put something in their mouth and control them, that's amazing. He says, look at ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Listen to this. So many times I've gone back to these verses just to remind myself to watch my mouth. It says, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Man, I go camping, and I drop a a match, and I could destroy thousands of acres of land. And the tongue is a fire. The world, the very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. You'd almost, I'm not going to say another word today, right? This is scary. I mean, I'm going to mess up that much as possible. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one, you hear how God's going to have to do this for me? No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, dear God, we come to church and sing, How great is our God. Shout to the Lord. Next thing you know, we go out and we curse somebody out at our house. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? The Bible says... According to God's word, in verse 2, with God's help, if we will work on controlling this tongue, we could just about tell our whole body what to do and not let it tell us what to do. The tongue can do so much good, but it can also, and I'll use this word intentionally, rip up so much, can it? I can guarantee you I've been hurt more by somebody's tongue than any other way I've ever been hurt in my life. I mean, just rip down to the inside. So let me ask you a question. Do you struggle with gossip? Do you need to ask God to control your tongue? Do you have a sharp tongue? Are you so good with comebacks and you just can't resist it sometimes? I mean, they set me up. (laughs) That was a good one. Well, let it be good between you and the Lord. We have to ask God to help us control our tongue. How many times in the last 24 hours has your mouth or your tongue been used to hurt rather than to help? And the the, the converse is true, isn't it? The tongue can really be powerful to build people up. Man, I'm telling you what, you can almost visibly see somebody grow if you give them words of affirmation. I just want to tell you what a blessing you are to my life. I just want to tell you that I see God working in your life. It is so clear, and I see the fruit of Him working in your life. What a blessing. What would that do for you? If somebody walked up to you and said, 
God is clearly working in your life. If somebody said to you, you know what? I was having a bad day, but when you called me, man, it just totally changed my day. The things that you said to me, the way that you said it, it's powerful, isn't it? If God is working in my life, more and more I'll be able to tell my tongue and the rest of my body how to serve me and my purposes, i.e., if I'm walking with God, Him and His purposes, not for it to tell me that it's got desires that it wants me to serve. Somebody has said self-control is the ability to master one's own passions and desires. Now, don't get me wrong. It may take, now listen to me, friend. This is not not an easy, okay, if you struggle with this, you struggle with that. Some of you struggle with some strong, strong pulls, some strong desires, some strong passions in your body. It may take counseling, godly counseling, biblical guidance from someone to help you walk through that. It will probably, I shouldn't even say probably, it will take community. It will take people around you to support you, to ask you how you're doing, to hold you accountable. It may take time. It will probably take a lot of failures and slip-ups, but listen, praise God, aren't you glad there's light at the end of the tunnel? More and more, if you love God, if He is controlling your life, you, with His leading, can gain control over the passions and desires of your life. Isn't that exciting? Even if today, listen, friend, don't let the enemy slap you over the head with, yeah, you're not near that, are you? Yeah, that's what God wants you to do, and you're not doing that, are you? He's slapping you around. That's the wrong way. He's coming in the back door, okay? That's the lie. It's not that you have to produce this, remember? The works of the flesh are all that ugly stuff we read about in verses 19 through 21. This is allowing God to work. God, man, I may be so far away, Lord Jesus. I may be so far from where I want to be, but your word promises me that if I allow you in a personal walk with you to work in my life, you can give me victory. Amen? So just say it right now. God, I just trust by faith that you can give me victory. I don't know the timing of it. It may be now. It may be in eternity. But God, I know that every step I take towards that victory is going to free me up even more. And so, Lord, even if we don't make it all the way where I want to be, I'm going to start right now today with that first step of trusting you, whatever it is. Most of us try to get all the way to the end first. And how does that work? Not very good. Because that's not God's way. We're trying to do it. We're trying to manufacture it. God, would you help me by your grace to get control of this in my life, whatever it might be? Sometimes he does it overnight. I mean, he spoke the world into existence just a few days. He could easily free you up, and he does. People will tell me, I gave up that desire automatically. I say, praise God. Praise God. Some people say it's taken years but I've experienced more and more in my life, more and more victory. More and more, that does not have control over my life. So you're just going to have to trust Him. There's no easy fix here necessarily. You're going to have to trust Him. Ultimately, can I share something with you? What we really need for God to work on, and we're talking about the fruit here right now, what we really need for God to work on are the desires, are the passions. You see, the Bible, and we don't have time to get into that as much today, the Bible seems to indicate... You need to really go down when you got that plant, that weed killer, all right? This isn't one you spray on the leaves. This is the one you dig up the roots, right? Spray the leaves and what happens? (laughs) Sometimes it comes back, doesn't it? All right, this is one you got to dig it up, the whole thing. All right, so we're going to have to trust God to do that. But really, we need to crucify those desires. We need to allow those to be more and more put to death. 
and, and uh, pray and ask God that he'll help you through the help of others and through walking with him, that he'll help you get to the point where you just don't even want that anymore. You just don't even desire it anymore. Now, that's hard to unpack, isn't it? There's a, lot of, there's a big continuum there that I've just talked about. Some of you are just considering starting something. Some of you have been heavily involved in something, gratifying desires for a long time. And you've got to ask God to sort out where you're at and where he needs to take you. But that's some of the general principles. Aren't you glad that God hasn't left us in the dark? Aren't you glad that he says, here's what it would look like if I were working in your life. If you were a God fruit tree, here's the kind of things that would come off. It'd be all kinds of fruits, not just apples. Apples and oranges and, and all these different things. Bananas. And he says, you know what they're called? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the kind of things that God wants to be dripping off your life. So as we come down to finishing up the fruit of the Spirit, I want to ask you a question. You may not see an overwhelming amount of fruit dangling from your life. But do you see any buds? <laughs> Can you feel it happening? Do you, do you feel that God has dug up the roots? Do you feel Him down there working deep down? He's working on the roots. Would you welcome that today? God? Well, I thank you. I can't compare with so-and-so because, man, they've got great this or they've got great that. Lord, I can't compare with them, but all I can say is, Lord, I see that you're trying to dig up my roots, and I welcome that. God, I see that, you know what, last year you really dealt with the roots, but now you're starting to make it kind of flow through my life. You're really more and more, I'm seeing you evident and visible in my life. And maybe others around me can't quite see all that I see that's coming, but I see in your word it's coming. I sense it in my heart. God, you're working in my life. And Lord, I just know that just any minute now, People around me are going to start saying, I've noticed a change in your life. Maybe some of you have just started that. You've just said, you know what? People are just beginning to say, you know what? Something's different about you. They're not quite ready to say, man, you know, you're doing awesome. <laughs> Maybe you're not there yet, but something's changed about your life. Would you let God encourage you with that today? Don't worry about the fully ripened fruit this morning. Just, God, thank you that I've seen progress in my life. Wherever you are, would you say, God, I don't want to be happy with that place. I don't want to be happy until all of your fruit is being produced in my life. Because you know what? To some degree, people eat different kinds of fruit, don't they? Somebody needs to see love in my life to be drawn to Christ, don't they? They need to see me unconditionally committed to God in order for them to be drawn to the Lord. Somebody needs to see that peace in my life. He said, man, what is it about your life that you've got that strength and that stability? The more fruit that's produced in my life, the more glory God gets, right? My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the goal for a disciple is that we would have lots of fruit. Would you ask God to do that in your life? You say, Lord, I've grown. I've got a lot of things that I really people have affirmed, but I see some areas that need to be pruned, that need to be shored up. And today I submit my, my will to that. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Robbie, man, I'm not even on in the garden. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know there was a seed. But God's speaking to my heart today. 
it may take me the rest of my life to get even remotely close to what you're talking about with God's help, but I want to start that path today. I want God to plant His seed in my heart, and I want Him to begin working in my life, and I don't know how all that's going to happen, but today I want to receive it. You know what? God's Word has went forth this morning. And the Bible says when it goes forth, it's like seed from a sower. God has sent it out. And really the difference is, what kind of ground has it found in your heart today? Matthew 13 talks about that. So today, would you be good ground? Would you welcome the seed of God's Spirit working in your heart? And the way you can do that, the way you can know that's happening, is by affirming, God, I know that you are real. I know that you love me, and I know that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your plan, but I thank you for Jesus. And I receive him as my Savior. And the Bible says, an incorruptible seed that cannot pass away, 1 Peter 1, that cannot pass away will be planted in your heart, and you'll be reserved and kept forever and ever. This morning, would you invite Jesus to come into your heart and start producing his fruit in your life?